All right, welcome back for another edition of The Final Mile, where we answer your questions. Uh, please make sure to use the Freight360.net website to submit all of your questions. We'll make sure to get to them um, as long as we have time on each week's episode. And if you'd like to learn more about Freight360 and our training, make sure to check out the Freight Broker Basics course. It's a full-length, self-paced course teaching you how to start your brokerage and succeed. And please make sure to check out the sponsors in the description box or uh, show notes, depending on where you're listening or watching. And um, that helps support the channel and support our sponsors. So today's first question comes to us from Ryan. Ryan asked, uh, CRM recommendations. I'm joining my dad's business and wanted to know what CRM works best for freight brokers. So, um, Ryan, if you are listening, I know I shot you back a couple of emails with some brief stuff, but wanted to give a chance for Ben and I to really dig through the meat and potatoes of CRM and what you should look at as a freight broker. Because there are plenty of TMS platforms that have a built-in CRM. And depending on how you operate your business, that might be fine. Um, but if you're very heavy into prospecting or you're very detail oriented, there's different features and functions for a CRM that you're going to want to take a look at. Ben, any thoughts for on it? Sure. That you want yeah. to hop in there? Yeah. Just because like I had a, we have a client, I did this this week. Um, and again, to your point, a lot of the TMSs have them. I'm a huge advocate of doing this in a way that you'll be doing it later, not just right now. And again, this is also my own experience and frustrations. It's funny because I reached out to you today about redoing our Freight 360 CRM, right? I messaged you this morning and we hadn't really been up on some of this because it gets housed in another place. But the more I'm using this day to day, right? Like the more I realize just like how much easier my life is, how many more calls I can get through, how much less stress, how many less decisions I need to make. Like it genuinely makes a difficult job of sales a lot easier when you're using the right tool. And I would go so far as to say, even if you have a CRM in your TMS, it probably doesn't do what free HubSpot will do. And in my opinion, if you're going to use any CRM and they're the same price, use the one that's going to give you the functionality that makes your life easier, not just the one that's in front of you. And again, it's not a knock at anybody or any other product, but I do think you should think more than just like what you're using because what you have for the first few weeks, if you're setting out to build a business, like that is not a, a few week process. It's months yeah. and years. So I do think you should put a little more thought into this, even at early stages for that very reason. And it's because it's incredibly difficult to change them. Yes, you can export what you have out of some of them. Some of them you can't. And nobody wants to spend hours re-data entering and things from one system to the next if you can't figure out the export or the exports don't import well, or the fields don't line up. And I had to do a lot of this in the past month or so. So again, Going through some of it the hard way just made me, again, realize how important it is to pick one that you're going to stick with early on because yeah. it just makes your life easier. I think do, do a lot of demos and testing, too, yes. because there there are some really good salespeople that might sell you on, you know, they're, they're effective, right, in their ability to sell you on something that you don't fully understand, and you might assume something about it that isn't actually the case. So 
do demos. I personally love HubSpot. It's got a lot of great features and there's different levels too, right? You can get a higher paid, higher cost one that gives you more functionality. I'm excited for um, Shipper CRM. I know Paul yes. over at Freight Caviar, he's going to be um, launching it. I think the beta version is out now, but he's going to have a full version later this year, maybe early next year. He was supposed to announce something this month. Yeah, it's supposed to be this month. Definitely, I think November or December, I think they were going to align it with um, the F3. Great Waves Conference. Yeah, which yeah. is next week. Or I guess if you're listening to this, when it comes out, it'll be this week, I think. Those are, yeah. <laughs> and again, it's a matter of preference. Like Salesforce, I know is very good. I've used Pipe Drive. I've used Zoho. They're both good. I, I think they both work. I've not spent a lot of time in Salesforce and the people I know that use it say they do really enjoy it, but it is a lot more expensive and it also does a lot of things I think you probably won't utilize. The reason I like HubSpot is because you can start for free. And if you want to do what later, you can opt into them and then pay as you kind of grow or decide to. And again, Shipper CRM, like that product I thought was fantastic, even in the beta version. I think it's because it's designed for our industry. It's designed for freight brokers. And yes. to me, now you don't have to do the pain in the ass part of HubSpot, which is I've got to use Zoom Info or another website like Apollo IO or Seamless.ai or Rocket Reach to find my leads to dump them into HubSpot. Shipper CRM is one-stop shop. You can put yep. the company names you want to target. Yep. Literally just start calling and putting in your notes there. I mean, there are to be, to be fair, like Apollo, I did a demo on it pretty recently. There's plugins for Salesforce and HubSpot. Um, but whenever you have a plugin or an integration, it's never as clean as just a one-stop shop. So I agree. For sure. Excited to see what Paul is going to have. There. So that happened to me, by the way, for, to your point, I had two and a half hours where I probably could have got on another 50 leads into my system and I did nothing but have to unintegrate and integrate HubSpot and Zoom Info until it functions. <laughs> gotcha. All right, next question. What is the typical commission percentage in today's market? Um, well, this does not apply if you are a brokerage owner because you just have your profits. But we'll talk W-2 and agent model. I will defer also check out Beth Carroll mm-hmm. episode that we did with her a couple weeks ago and her book. Taming the Compensation Beast, I think that's what it's called. Um, She really breaks down different ideas and concepts for how to commission people. I'll go based off of what I've heard from people in my experience personally versus any market research. Um, The agent model is typically you're going to see like a 50 to 70% commission payout. And that depends on... What you do, what they do, what you bring to the table, a whole bunch of stuff like that. Um, so, and you know, sometimes they have a requirement. You've got to do A, B, and C to hit this commission level. If not, you fall to this one. So make sure you, uh, you know, read the fine print when you're looking at an agent opportunity. Uh, my company, Pierce Worldwide Logistics, ours is, we just do a, a clean 70% payout. Uh, but we don't bring in inexperienced people that don't have a customer base. So we kind of try to weed out the the folks at the front end, uh, the W2 side and Ben, I'll, I'll let you kind of speak to it too, but i typically tend to see a base salary, maybe 40 K ish. And then the commission I've seen anywhere from, uh, five to 40%. 
Like I've seen a, a massive range. I think like 20 is probably where the, the median falls somewhere around there, but I've seen it range quite drastically. Um, what do you think? For sure. Um, I think the agents you pretty much outlined. I mean, they'll range up to 80 I've seen, but the ones that pay 80 have very little support, if any. And usually, in my opinion, for what it's worth, I'm not saying they're all under this category. Most of the ones that I've talked to throughout my career, again, were usually offering a higher commission because they were just trying to bring people in and they really didn't have the structure, the staff, or the support to be able to provide a real benefit. And again, it's because they're paying all of that money out, right? So to me, I think the sweet spot is where Pierce is, is at like the 70%, the more reputable agents, you know, and things like that kind of fall under there. And then I think the other thing too is, I, I mean, I'm in an agreement and have been in agreements and know other people that have two, right? Where it's 70%. And if you lean on the team to cover your trucks, meaning you're just doing one side of the business, you're getting between 35 and 50% on yep, those. Yeah, that's books. a good point. So it's like, hey, if I'm going to go hustle to book my own trucks, I get 70% on those. If I don't have the time because my volume is you know, blowing up this week or this month, I can lean on the team to help cover my loads. I'm only going to get you know 30 to 50% depending on your agreement. So that'd be the only caveat, I think, on the agent side that I've seen. Um, on the W-2, for sure, like I, I used to be industry standard. I think it was probably like exactly what you said, somewhere between high teens and mid-20s and a starting salary of about 45 to 50 grand, depending where you are in the country, maybe a little low 40s, somewhere in that range, depending on where you are, cost of living. Now, then I've seen everything in between, right? Like I've seen salaries that are 60, 70 a year and commissions are five or 10%. Um, I've seen, and again, Beth's book I've is I've seen fantastic. straight salary and these guys are doing yes. sales and I'm like, what are you doing? Like you're For leaving sure. money on the table. Yeah. Hey, that's a nice fat salary, but you don't have any commission. Have, have seen everything in between. And I mean, I've worked with clients that have everything in between. And that's the nice piece about like, you know, owning your own business, you can decide. And I think that whatever number you end up with, it should be a discussion between the company and the person accepting the job, right? Don't accept that whatever they offer you, offer you is their final offer is the other piece of advice I would give you, right? Ask for more. If you don't ask, the answer is always no, right? If they're offering you 50 grand to start and 20%, see if they'll go to 25. I'm a, yeah. I mean, I'm a big fan and I've always like for myself and for others, I've always recommended if you can get a lower base and a, a thicker mm -hmm. commission percentage, that's when you can really control your own, yes. you know, your own destiny, your own income there. So for sure. It. I don't know. Was this question definitely was that commission? They weren't asking about like was, brokerage margins. Okay, cool. Yeah. I mean, mar so margin, um, I haven't looked at the market statistics. I, I believe Freightways would either Freightways or DAT, one of them put out like an annual report of like industry reported margins. And I, the last time I saw it, it was like 14.8% or something like that or 4.6. I don't know. Can't remember. But uh, yeah, we're talking about commissions there. Um, all right. The next question, what are the restrictions and requirements to move alcohol? Um, okay. So, for you as a freight broker, it's really just your insurance. Make sure that your insurance policy is going to cover whether it's beer, wine, liquor. Uh, make sure you're specific on those. We've set it up at our company for uh, for a variety of different types of, of booze. Um, beer, wine, and liquor having different requirements. 
Now, where it gets tricky, and we, um, I did a little research before we hopped on here. There is a website called brewmovers.com, B-R-E-W, movers.com. And there is a, they have a guide on there that goes state by state and tells you as, as a carrier, let's say your trucking companies, if they need a permit from the state to move alcohol within the state, from the state to the state, or even just driving through that state, right? So to give you an example, um, Alaska doesn't require any kind of permit for anything, although you're not going to drive through Alaska. You're going to drive just within Alaska. Um, But like Arizona, no permits required, whether you're picking up there, delivering there, driving through there, or driving within there. It's just totally wide open. Arkansas, on the other hand, requires a permit for any of those four. So even if you're just driving through the state, and you, if you got inspected or stopped for whatever reason, you don't have a permit, bad news, right? And, but this website, I'll, also, I'll put a link in the in the notes, but it tells you who the agency is that provides the uh, um, the actual permits to whoever's transporting it. So pretty cool. Um, I didn't realize that every state was totally different until uh, our producer, Stephen, gave us a heads up and we did a little research on it. So. Uh, good stuff. Good question. Ben, do you have any any caveats on the alcohol thing? Do you have any experience moving alcohol? Long time ago, I did. Um, ran into it. I, I'm just familiar with different state laws just because of blue laws and growing up in Pennsylvania. There's just completely different laws as it relates to beer and liquor between Pennsylvania, Ohio and New York. Right. And especially when I was younger. Like, oh, yeah. For sure. Like in Pennsylvania, you can't buy liquor outside of a state store. It's literally owned and run by the state. So it's not even open on Sundays or holidays. You can only buy beer larger than a 12 pack through a beer distributor, at least they at the time. This was like six, seven years ago. Yeah. They, they, I think, um, yeah. So when I lived in Pennsylvania working for a trucking company, you could buy beer from a beer store door distributor or from the bar. Like you could buy a six pack at the bar and take it out. But I was in Philadelphia uh, either last summer or the summer before. And they had just started selling certain quantities of certain alcohol volume beer and whatever other drinks Mm -hmm. at like convenience stores. But it was only in certain areas and only like certain, um, Certain specs on anyone from Pennsylvania, give us a shout out. Let us know what's what's going I, on with it now. But it's wild. It did make me laugh too because I remember when I when I used to vacation to Florida and I was in my twenties as like an adult, right? And again, Pennsylvania has very stringent or did you know beer and liquor laws, and they they said it's related going all the way back to like you know the um, my mind prohibition. No, but the middle of the state is um, Amish and oh yeah. And a lot of the laws going back were literally hundreds of years that just stayed on the books. But I remember I'd come down to Florida and it's like in the impulse byline, there's literally a bucket of ice and just like pounders of Heineken and like Bud Light, like as you check out. And I remember I'm thinking, I'm like, I know this sounds silly to say out loud, but it's like, doesn't that really kind of advocate drinking and driving at that point? Who's (laughs) buying one cold drink to then have later on their own? But yes, anyway, long story short, they are different everywhere and every state gets to decide it. So make sure you're aware of that before you're broker. I remember New York, and then we'll be done with talking about alcohol. New York used to not sell uh, beer on Sundays until noon, I think it was. So if you were trying to tailgate for a Bills game, you had to make sure you bought your stuff the like 
Saturday, yeah, the day before the game. Uh, now you can. I think it's eight eight a.m. You can buy it or nine a.m. something like that. But crazy. All right, let's get on to our next question here, which is. In addition to cold calling shippers in my area, should I try to schedule a meeting to talk in person? Um, if they're in your area, 100%. That's a big leg up to do an in-person visit. I will, excuse me, I'll caution you. Um, cold showing up at a business without having called them or emailed before may have uh, mixed results. So I would try to establish some sort of contact there, some kind of rapport, and I would try to set up usually like a um, a facility tour or something like that. Like, uh, would love to get in and take a look at how everything operates there, and that way I can really relay to my network of, of partner carriers um, to give them an idea of, hey, here's what it's going to look like when you load up and we're going to turn here and all that stuff. I did one of these um, just, just a few weeks ago, actually at a, at a beer distributor, ironically. Uh, but it was really cool because, you know, you get to go in in person, see everything, where everything happens, um, and you got that face-to-face, right? You've got that in-person yep. rapport that you can never build over the phone as well as, um, uh, you know, as in person. Obviously, if it's in person, it's pretty easy to do. You can do it in a day. Um, I wouldn't recommend flying across the country every other day to try and visit a prospect in person, though. Not very cost effective. Ben, what's your take? For sure. I, I always like for me, personal preferences, I'm not going to do a visit until I've spoken to somebody and know that like they can see me. But once I have that one scheduled, I know that my time is at least going to be well utilized. I will see every other company I can probably hit while I'm out there within whatever time frame, right? And furthermore, it makes it much easier to get into some of the other companies if you're already doing business with another company, say in a business park. Hey, I'm stopping in at ABC Metals because across the street is my other customer, Acme Pipe. Now I'll stop in there and they just be like, hey, just wanted to knock on the door, say hello, see if I could reach anybody in shipping. And the gatekeeper might, oh, hey, you know, no solicitation. Hey, no worries. My customers across the street, I've been working with them for however long, whatever years, just thought I'd stop in while I was in the neighborhood. They likely know the people right across the street. And again, it's a cold opening, but there's a much higher likelihood that they're actually going to speak to you if you are working with somebody in their vicinity that they're probably aware of, right? So for me, we would target the areas we were going to do a customer visit and then prospect around them, right? So if I was going to fly to Cali to go meet my customer, we would pull up two zip codes and call every company in that market for the two months preceding our flight out there to try to line up as many prospects as we could. And then now you can utilize your time. And the main reason for that is I've done this in banking and I've done this in our industry and cold knocking doors is incredibly inefficient for results. And it's very, very time consuming. You might knock on 20, 30, 40 doors in a day and get nobody to answer. Probably never going to get to that many unless they're literally lined up. Like you could do that in retail. In our industry, they're not usually that close together. So you might get a handful in a day. You can call 50 in that afternoon. To me, reaching out to 50 it's far more effective than knocking on the door at four or five. Yeah. Cause you got the likelihood. I did a, uh, I did a cold calling session with one of our agents yesterday and within one hour. And this includes us bantering in between calls, 27 calls in one hour. Right. 
Obviously, okay. it didn't get a hold of everybody, but right. a lot of voicemails and stuff. But that just goes to show the amount of efficiency you can do with calling versus um, showing up in person. But there's nothing that's greater than an in-person meeting. For sure. And again, you can do both. Even if they don't agree to it, at least then when you knock on the door, you know who you're asking for if you've at least tried to reach them, right? And again, take my yesterday. I think I called like 65, spoke to three people. If I was going to stop now, if I stop tomorrow, I could at least knock on the door. Like, hey, I'm looking for Cindy. We were emailing back and forth. I connected with her on Wednesday. Is she around? I got a much higher chance of actually being able to speak to anybody if you go in with that approach as opposed to yep, knock, knock, knock. Hey, who can I talk to in the middle of the day when everybody's at work? (laughs) All right. Last question. Is it possible to gain customers through a website or marketing campaign? Um, Fairly vague question, but yes, um, I think it's more of an ancillary thing. I, I don't, customers don't go to brokerages websites and fill out a contact form or a quote. Like I know a lot of brokers have like quote request forms on their website. <laughs> um, if anyone's ever had success with it, please let us know. I'd be, I would love to hear that story, but I think it's more your website and your online marketing presence is in my opinion, more of a validator of your your company, your professionalism, your ability to get the job done. Uh, if someone goes to your website and it's under repair or it doesn't exist or it's broken or it looks like garbage, it's going to hurt you. You'd probably be better off just not having a website than to have something like that. Same thing if you're uh, if, if some a prospect finds you on LinkedIn, it's a, it's a picture of you doing a keg stand in college. Probably want to update that and, you know, Unless, unless they're also the same kind of bro. Uh, but, you know, something professional that looks nice, that gives a professional image of you. Um, have you ever, have you heard any stories about a marketing campaign that went successful outside of the traditional just prospecting? Not marketing campaign. I mean, nothing outside of traditional prospecting. Sending emails, following up with phone calls, a mix of both. Um, but... I have, I mean, I've gotten customers that have come through a website, right? That have searched for a specific need. Um, I see them more when there is a specific need, meaning like I need tanker, I need alcohol shit. I need somebody that can move final mile in my area. I need um, over dimensional, like any of the niches tend to result in a little bit, but I mean, they're still few and far between even back in the day. And again, this is like six years ago, but when I was at TQL back then we had five, 6,000 employees. I used to talk to the person who would funnel all the leads. Tanya was there and like literally every lead from the website went through one person that then got distributed. And we used to ask her like every week, like how many came through? And again, huge brokerage back then, right? And even at those numbers, I think it was like a handful a week, maybe if so that. People were, but people were actually filling out the form on their Yeah, website. but they were, but honestly, like most of the companies were like small companies that sh- that's the first time they're shipping a full truckload and that's they don't fair. know what to do. So they're like, well, they Google full truckload shipping for their first order. And again, you can get customers from their first load that stay with you and become very, very big deals. Like Steven and I were talking about this last week, a couple companies in Ohio that worked with brokerages when they were very little. And as they grew, they become large accounts. So, I mean, it's not that they're not valuable, but those are the types of leads I've seen come through like websites and search engines. I've had, um, I've had 
ref, like first load ever shipped. I've had as a referral because they didn't know the first thing about anything. And they're like, wait, who do I know that does something related to transportation? And it could be a referral through someone else to me or directly came to me. And a lot of times it's not a good fit regardless. It's more like an LTL thing. Um, But yeah, interesting. Good stuff. Yeah. To me, it's more like the sign on your business, right? Like you're, it's there if people walk past it or look to verify it. But like you're, if you're relying on the sign on your building to drive all of your business, right? Like to me, that's not the best strategy. Agreed. Well, good stuff. Good questions. Continue to send them in. Use that form on Freight360.net. You can also email us info at Freight360.net. Support the sponsors. And uh, we'll see you guys again in the next episode. Ben? I want to add one thing to that last question. Go ahead. To the person that is asking it, right? I always want to ask somebody when they ask me this question, why is it that you want to do a marketing campaign? If the reason is because you want to avoid the hard thing of making phone calls and doing prospecting, then you shouldn't do it. If you're already doing prospecting and doing the hard things and you want to add this to your services and you got some extra resources, by all means, I don't think it's a bad use. I'm just very, very cautious about when this question gets asked because it's mostly because people are scared to pick up the phone and go in person or to do the things that we were talking about earlier. So, I'll add into. Try a ton of different strategies when it comes to prospecting. I found that I got very I got very successful prospecting doing things a little bit differently than like the mainstay, right? I would heavily personally, I got really involved in like um cell phone like texting, like getting someone's cell number and texting mm-hmm. with them, right? Um yep. same thing with like social media. Like connect I'm not afraid to connect with somebody Cut the on noise. Facebook. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like all my customers, just- by the way, I am connected with on Facebook and I am in my 40s. So like <laughs> that's normal to me, but yeah. like yeah. for sure. Like, and in fact, I've got better relationships. I know what's going on in their personal life. They know what's going on in mine. So we're able to have those questions, those conversations we talk about in the show a lot about like people's interest, right? Like I know what my customers' kids dressed up as for Halloween. They know what mine did. When yep. we talk, like we can talk about those things and that's what you would do with a coworker. So the exactly. more ways you can strategically cut through the noise, whether it's text messages, think outside the box, that's going to provide much better results than automating yep. something. It's not a one size fits all. It's not a single magic pill. You got to find what works best for you. Mm-hmm. So, All right. On that note, any closing remarks, Ben? Whether you believe you can or believe you can't, you're right. And until next time, go Bills.